Welcome to the B&E Podcast with Brandon Colby-Cook and Evan Schulte. Exploring the creative process and finding the balance between artistry and industry. Entirely uncut and unscripted. Welcome to the Brandon and Evan Show. The Brandon and Evan Show. <laughs> established since... Since late I... 2015 yeah <laughs> um so today so today's a little more serious day we're yep. uh, we're gonna get into it but uh we're gonna talk a little bit about um our relationship to art and how we want to share it and when we say that we mean for everybody because we all have our own relationship to it yes not just our as in between the two of us <laughs> no it's your relationship to your art whatever artist you might be be it you know actor musician filmmaker video game, designer, whatever, architect, you know, and, and how do you relate to it? What is your relationship to it? How are you building that relationship? And how are you sharing that relationship with other people? Because, you know, some, some, you know, some artists, I think they just, they just like to create art for their own, you know, enjoyment and that's it. And they don't really intend to share it. Um, but I think there's a lot of people out there who get frustrated because they don't know how to share it. And they don't know how to get people to recognize or see or even notice the fact that they can participate in this and create something. Yeah, yeah, and I'm I'm excited about this conversation mm-hmm. that we're that we're about to have because there's uh, you know it's it's something that is uh, there's so many ways that we can look at this. You know, it's it's between your own you know like we said your personal relationship, how you actually feel, maybe um, uncovering some things that you didn't know that you felt about what it is that you do and as well as uh some more like the i guess the the practical or the more um you know like the i guess sort of like the the marketing side of of what you do you know how do you get what you're doing out there if yeah. that is what you decide that you want to do mm-hmm. or if it's not why is it not you know yeah. like it, you know there's lots of people who you know, like for myself, like I've been playing guitar for a long time. I've, I've thought about, you know, maybe doing something with that at some point in time in terms of, you know, if whether it was just jamming with some, some, some guys on like a, you know, an, on an open night or sometime, but that's not a strong compulsion that I have right now. Yeah, but you enjoy right. playing guitar. And, yeah, uh, no, I, I get my, my fulfillment from it comes from, from doing it. You know, I get my own enjoyment out of it. And it's, it's a sort of a discipline that, that I just appreciate for myself. For well, some people, they would want to take that and do something with it. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And I think it, you know, it depends on, it depends on, you know, where you're at. Like, I mean, I know some musicians who are, you know, they're frustrated because they're quite talented and they work, you know, they work really hard at it and they don't know how to get themselves out there. And that's something I'd like to, you know, point to maybe in this conversation and maybe I can contribute a little bit and help hopefully shift some perspective around it, um, at least in, in that area. I'm not a musician myself, but I do understand a little bit more of the business and marketing side of it. And I can also, maybe for the writers, I can share a little bit about that. Um, but I think that, you know, one thing that I've been noticing recently is sometimes with art, I think that there's um, there can be a me too mentality. And what I mean by that is, People see someone else do something and they go, I'd like to do that too. And they go, I could do that, but I could do it better. 
And I don't think that that's a good way to go about your art. I no. think that's very comparative, competitive, and ultimately it, 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 it limits your originality. I think you can be inspired by someone, but I don't think you should look at their work and say, I could do it better. I think you want to applaud them for doing the thing that they did that's original. And then you want to look at like, what could I bring to the table as well that would be also original? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, once you, you begin down that path of, of like, oh, well, I could do that and, and do it better. And, and yeah, you, like, so you start comparing and, and you, you put this weird sort of a, a pressure on yourself that can never really be satiated, I don't think. You know, like you're constantly weighing yourself against some sort of invisible, some sort of invisible critic in some sort of invisible judge, which is pretty much just yourself. But I mean, if like, if you're, if, yeah, if you're coming into it from a place of like, oh, I could do it better than that person. Well then, yeah, you are limiting yourself because you're, you're doing it because, and, and it's, yeah, like there's no way that you can really know that you are doing something better than another person. Like no, what? who's going to tell you? Who's going to tell you? And I mean, it's a subjective opinion anyhow, so mm -hmm. it's meaningless. Yeah. So you know, you need it for me, it's, it's about connecting to something a little bit, a little bit deeper on it in terms of why you're, you're doing the creative thing that you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, <clears throat> sometimes, I mean, there's other factors that come into making something better. I mean, you can look at it as, I mean, take the Oscars, for example, when people win awards and whatnot. And sometimes you could argue that, well, this film was, was better technically, whatever, but it didn't win and this other one did. And I think with art, sometimes there's a certain amount of timing. Like, was this one a more risky project to make, a more unique project to make? Um, you know, sometimes I think that there's other factors, whether, uh, whether that are, that, that factor in, whether it's, just technically better or not. And I think when you get into the, I could do that technically better than this person, you're only competing on that. And you're, you're missing like really 95% of what art is really about, which is to come up with something original to participate with your own voice and your own uniqueness. Yeah. I mean, um, if we want to talk movies like, uh, to, to flesh out on what you're saying, um, what was it last year or the year before? when, um, Bird, yeah, I guess it was last, last year that year. Birdman, yeah. uh, won the Oscars, but that was the same year that Whiplash came out and yeah. both of those movies. And I, and I kind of struggled with it a little bit in terms of my own, like, well, what, what did I think was the better film? You know, because I loved both of those movies mm -hmm. and there, I, there are parts of me that's just like, I don't know. I, I, I think that Whiplash was like a better movie for me in some ways. It was just like, I don't know. I think it was just, it was just so impeccably done. But then I think about Birdman and I go, well, but that did like, it was impeccably done. And it also had this whole other thing going on with it and what it was trying to say. And so there was also a certain understanding that I had where I went like, well, I understand why it got the Oscar. Yeah. You know, like I understand why it was chosen as the best picture, but then, you know, you look back, it's like, but they were both terrific films. Yeah. They were, they were both tremendous films. Like it's not even, it's not like to me and that, that was an instance of saying, it's like, well, it's not, you're not really saying that one is 
better than the other because I have a hard time saying that one is better than the other. They were both incredible and one wins for this, the other one wins for, for this reason or that reason. Like you could just continually divide it and separate it and whatever, but that's yeah, it's because it gets down pointless. it gets down to personal opinion, you know, and I mean you know, I think what ends up happening is if you're trying to compete on I could do that but better, what you start doing is you need to get essentially the masses to agree with you. You know, you need to get more and more people to agree with you to reaffirm that yes, indeed, you are better. But that means that you have to go to the outside world to get the affirmation and do all that. And so, you know, and I think that in most cases, you're probably not going to get that. It's going to require a lot of, I mean, first of all, everyone has to see it and agree. But the thing is, is now you're, you're dependent on other people affirming that your art is good or better or whatever. And like, here's another question. Why do you need it to be better than theirs? Why, why do you need that? So you can feel better than them? I think that's a really like kind of poisonous path to go down because, you know, that's like, like, let's just say if you attribute to the idea that you could be better than someone else, how many people in the world are trying to be better than you? And now you've created a world of massive competition where everybody's trying to be better than each other and we're not on the same side anymore. Whereas if you go, I would argue that that is the culture that we've created. I think but so. Continue. Yeah. And I think that it's got us all confused. And I think, you know, when I look at the, when I look at the top artists, like in any field, really, but I observe and I watch and I watch their behavior. And for the most part, what I see is I see a lot of them, you know, really working together. And, you know, even, even as an actor, you know, in the city of Vancouver, you know, while working with some of the best actors in, in town, they're all very helpful. You know, you know, the competitive actors, the ones who are trying to tear each other down are usually the ones that are not getting work, usually the ones that are, you know, struggling. And the ones at the top, you know, they continue to be at the top because they all kind of work together and they don't, they all have their own uniqueness, you know, and I think as you go up, you know, and it's like that I find with, uh, you know, with sports too, you know, when I played soccer, I remember like there were several teams and, and several teams had star players, you know what I mean? And it was not so much about is our star better than their star or, you know, whatever. It's like everyone just, I remember before a game happened, our coaches would sit us down, you know, and they'd be like, this is the guy we got to watch out for. And it was just kind of like respect, respect that this guy is going to burn our defense. He can shoot, he can do these things. You know what I mean? And I think that that's what we want to look at as our fellow artists. We want to respect each other as, as capable. And we want to look at how, how do we raise our game to their level? You know, and if you're the top, then, you know, hopefully you're not trying to hold everyone else down, but you're trying to get them to raise to your level because I think that everybody raising each other up is only how we're going to get better. But if people are tearing each other down, trying to be better than each other, that's just trouble, you know? Yeah, it's, um, yeah, there's this, there is a very distinct difference between, um, you know, competing with somebody and being inspired by somebody, you know? And, and I feel like inspiration is, is where you want to go, in terms of, of elevating yourself, you know, mm -hmm. because if once you start treating it as a competition and while on the surface, yes, like if you are involved within an industry, whatever that industry might be, you know, there's other people who are doing the same thing that you're doing, mm -hmm. you know, and in, on a very surface level, you are competing with each other, but you know, it's, it's like this weird fear that we have 
that there's only room for one, mm-hmm. which is absurd. Like it's completely absurd. It like is there, absurd. there's like, there are so many people within every creative industry doing different things. And the one for me, the ones that usually sort of rise to the top, which is, I don't know. I feel like it's, it's kind well, of like a different, weird different description types anyhow. Of tops to, to rise to. Right. Know? But, yeah. but like the people who sort of do, do this thing where we, we say that they've reached a, attained a certain level of, of success, you know, commercially perhaps or otherwise, but they're usually the, usually I find that these people are the ones who keep a really great perspective on what it is that they're doing. You know, most of the best artists in their fields that I have seen, and if I've witnessed an interview with them or just through seeing their work, it's like, there's just something that is so, they keep true to their, to their voice, whatever that is. Like they, I, I feel like they put aside this whole idea that they're competing with people because again, it, it does nothing but distract you mm-hmm. from what, from creating. Yeah. Like that's all competition does is it distracts you from creating because now you've made it an ego thing and the ego thing, like the ego is like, I think the, I mean, it's one of our biggest enemies in life, but it is definitely one of the biggest enemies in art. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, and I wouldn't be surprised if when you're referring to these types of artists that you just talked about, that they're the ones that have not only got to the top, but stay at the top. Not just the ones that are flashes in the pan where they get to the top and they disappear in self-destruction. You know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, when you look at the people who kind of get to the top, but they stay there and they have these long careers at the top, they tend to have that attitude where it is about their art and their process and I think, a li- well, and of course, I don't know everybody in every field, and sure, there's always exceptions to the rule, but I would, you know, just for your own mental health and sustainability, like, if you're constantly comparing yourself to other people, and I know I've done it, I've done it in my early 20s a lot, and it is, it is not helpful, it hurts. You know, actually, there was this thing I learned in uh, psychology, which, um, they're talking about dissonance, and they're talking about the ways in which we deal with it, and, and essentially what happens is, you know, if you, if you do compare yourself to someone, you might actually do a couple different behaviors. One behavior is, let's just say that you love acting and you're, and you're comparing yourself to someone else, but they're always better than you. You just never seem to be able to be better than them. And they always get the role. They always get the reward. And, you know, you work so hard and you even work harder, but still they get it and they seem to work less and less. But you might actually start to decide you don't like acting anymore. And what happens is because we have a self-survival mechanism inside of us, when we, when a lot of pain is being created, we can actually create a story where we'll go, I don't like acting, actually. I actually don't really like acting. So once you realize that you're not able to be better than this person, I mean, really truthfully, you're not able to be better than them because if they're being truthful, you're not able to be more truthful than them to their truth because it's their truth and not yours. So it's a losing battle anyway. But basically, you could decide, hey, I don't like acting anymore. And they, and, they, and they were talking about how you would do it less and less and less until you stopped doing it all. Or um, there, in some ways, some people, and this can happen very occasionally, but it's only like maybe, maybe 30% of the time. Sometimes people will want it more because someone's better than them. 
But I don't think that's self-sustainable either because the thing is you're so disconnected from yourself. After a while, it's got to run thin. I mean, you know, I think it can, it can serve as a temporary motivation. But now, like, that would mean that everything you do is in relation to what this other person does. So whose life are you living? Yeah, and I mean, I, I think to touch back on something you said, you know, it's this whole thing of, of seeking this external validation of something, you know, because I, I've certainly like, I've met and I've, I've been one of those, uh, those actors who's been like, sort of like, you know, comparing myself and, and, um, you know, just, oh, I've lost it. (laughs) I've lost it. It'll come back to me. But you've been there. But yeah, like I've been there where, and, and just starting to feel, uh, disheartened because yeah, you're, you're looking at all these people and every, it seems like everybody else is having all the success and you're like, yeah, but I'm working so hard. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm working so hard and I'm doing all of this stuff. And, and then suddenly you, you're, you're trapped in this thing where it's like, well, I deserve to have this, mm-hmm. you know, I deserve to, because of all of this hard work that, that I'm doing. And again, it's, it's, it's an ego based way of approaching everything that you're doing because it's just like, well, in order for me to do this, I must have, you know, this approval from something outside of me to do this. Mm-hmm. And we're always looking, I think we're, you know, there's a couple of things. One is so many things are firing off here, but one thing is, is we look to authority for approval and we look to our peers for approval. And we learn to do that um, when we're young because we don't have very good self-identity. And we're not, we're, we're not, we don't have very good education systems in that respect. Uh, you know, they get, they get us by, but they don't really teach us to be individuals. They teach us to fit in, to conform, to follow the rules, and to do it as they want us to do it, right? Um, unless you've been in, in either some type of mentorship or private school or some, you know, homeschooling where you got something different. For most of us, that's how we've been trained. And the other thing is, is that um, not only are we always looking to these outside sources to confirm whether we got it right or are doing it well or not, we also um, we, we also have been indoctrinated into this idea, which is also false, is that hard work pays off. And that hard work alone is enough. And it, and it used to be. It actually used to be. You used to be able to uh, work really hard and you could make a lot of money. You know, you could... You could have a strong back, you could dig a ditch, you could make a lot of money, you could have a family house and all that stuff. But now times are changing, technology has advanced. And now hard work just isn't enough. Now you need to work smart. And when it comes to art, there's so many people involved in it that working smart is so much more important than working hard. Now I'm not saying don't work hard, but working hard and not working smart, and in my opinion, is when you compare yourself to someone else. That's actually, because you just have to work really, really, really hard, harder than they work to be better at what they do. But working smart is actually going, I don't actually need to be better than them or anything. In fact, all I need to do is be the best that I know how to be. And that seems like a small thing, but that's actually working smart because now you're, you're just, you're looking thinking about yourself. You yeah. Know, and, yeah. And what's and, important. And, and for me, it's like, cause what you're saying, it's like when, when you said like working smart, I'm like, oh, well. You know, because like I've, I've, I've also, you know, met, you know, types of like, uh, we'll just continue with the acting train here because, because I, well, you know, it's, it's actors are a great, great 
subject for this conversation because actors, I I feel, are just so um, so plagued by by ego, you know, and and I feel like this is a lot of what we're talking about, mm-hmm. you know, like this is where a lot of this stuff is stemming from, you know, like why else would you compare and judge yourself against others and this and that? It's all, it's all an ego based thing. Well, side note and, and, and keep that thought is that I believe that actors are more ego based because the system of auditioning and the way we're set to be compared against each other, it's natural. And with our education system, it's natural that we would have that. I think yes. most actors have to defeat their ego. I know I did. And I don't know if I entirely have. But. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's yeah. a lifelong thing. Yeah. You know, but, um, you know, it's, it's, um, sorry, I guess. I know, I, <laughs> I tell you, I totally that's all right. Off. Yeah. That's all right. It's ego driven acting. It's, we're on the train. It's a, it's a big ego driven. We're on the train and yeah, this whole thing of external validation and, um, oh yeah, you were talking about working smarter, mm-hmm. working smarter and, you know, the actors who I, I know that this is what you're saying, but I didn't want there to be any confusion um, in terms of you know what people might be hearing. At, like working smarter does not mean um, looking to find that edge. You know, like that's where like you know because I've met a lot of actors who are like that. They're looking for that edge mm. on on the competition, right? Right. And that it's just is not like, working smart. And no. that's not working smart. Like you said, like working smart, I feel is, is having an awareness, having a self-awareness that by having, by being consumed with a mind that is, is thinking about, about how to compete and how to get a leg up and being better than everybody else is so counterproductive to your process as an artist which is working hard which you just described which is that's working, working hard which is working hard so it's sometimes working you know don't don't mistake working smart because it can often just be working hard <laughs> and working hard can actually start working against you yes and that's what people don't realize because we've been taught that if you work hard you will succeed and we're, you know what we get into our 20s most of us get out of school and we go, this is, this is bullshit. I'm working my ass off and I'm not getting anywhere. And you know what? It's true because you've been sold a bill of goods that are a whole lot of crap and working hard. And you know what? The sooner you learn this lesson, the better. The, and you know what? You, the moment you learn it, like you might as well stop complaining about, oh, I've done it wrong for X amount, whatever. doesn't matter. Who cares? Yeah. I'm going to work smart because basically what happens is working hard, you just tire yourself out. To the point where you don't have a creative thought in your mind anymore. Like, you know, um, for example, you know, the world's going to tell you don't sleep in or, you know, you can get more out of your day. You don't need to do this stuff. Well, and, I'm, and th- that's true. It's true. It depends on what you're trying to do. Sometimes, though, as an artist, it's actually good to get lots of rest and to actually spend some time just thinking, doing nothing at all. That's actually working smart because what you're doing is you're improving yourself in a way where you're, you're giving yourself a relaxation. You know, yeah. if you're an artist, I know this about myself, you know, like, uh, and I, I've referred to this in the last couple of podcasts, my place having this flood. Right. And I realized that, you know, it, it, I was struggling with it. I got super stressed out. I kept worrying that the place is going to leak again, you know, whatever dealing with the landlords, considering moving in like a few days, you know, all this stuff. And my creative output just kind of 
dove big time. And I realized I need, I go, well, is this stress, is this stress worth it? And I started to look and I go, what's important for me right now? And I go, do I have my stuff taken care of? I need to remove the stress. I knew that removing the stress was working smart. And then the other day I sat down and I literally wrote for hours and I created some of the most, some of the best stuff I've created in a very long time. And I thought, you know, this was if with the stress on me, you know, I'm working against myself, but with the stress removed. And I think as an artist, especially as an artist, you need to figure out how am I working harder than I need to be working? And what do I need to remove to create it so I can work smarter? So I don't have to work so hard, right? Because just because you put more hours in in the day doesn't mean you're more productive, you know, no. right? And I mean, it's like um, to give to give a personal example, like I remember at a time when I was, you know, I was doing you know, this class and that class and, and another one. And I was, I was just, I was bouncing from class to class to class to class because I was like, okay, this is what I should be doing. I need to get better. I need to get better. I mean, there's, there is absolutely nothing wrong with wanting to get better at your craft and getting better at what you do. But I was at a place where I was just doing the, doing these classes because I thought it was what I should do. You know, like I was just, I was doing it because it was there. I'm like, okay, that, that, that would probably be good for me. That would probably be good for me. And that would probably be good for me. And, and that'll help me to book more and that'll help me to, you know, get another, the next job and, and this, and it's, it is, it's exhausting. Mm -hmm. It was so exhausting. And then I remember I hit a point where I just suddenly, I just, I completely scraped, scraped the plate off. I just completely got, because I was numb. Mm -hmm. I was completely numb because I was doing all of this work and it wasn't paying off in the way that I wanted it to. And I didn't step in a class for years. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was actually a really good thing for me to do, you mm -hmm. know, and it was because it was an imbalance. It was a complete imbalance. Like, yeah, it's, it's not a bad thing to work hard in itself, but that's not the only thing you can do, mm -hmm. you know, and it's not the only thing that you should do, you know, like it's, it's important that you you listen to yourself, you know, that you've got to take care of all aspects of your life, all aspects, you know, it's like if there, and it shows like I, I, uh, I saw this woman the other day who was, she was buried in her phone having lunch. Like she, she didn't even look up. She was sitting at her table and she was on the phone, like, and, and, and doing this and that. And when she wasn't like talking on the phone, she was looking down at her phone mm -hmm. and, was just running around, not like so completely unaware. And I was like, whoa, like this woman just needs to like put the phone away and, and maybe enjoy her, her lunch for like half an hour. Hmm. You know, it's just like, cause what, like how important is it that you do this thing while you're feeding yourself yeah well you're giving your body sustenance you're all you're trying to nourish yourself and you're and you're distracted in doing that like it's well you know you bring up a good point i mean how many things do we do full-on 100 percent focus and how many times how much of the day do you spend splitting your focus you know like if you know and, and i think that there i think that there's an experiment or a test that's something along these lines but you know if you were to take an hour of your day and you were to split your focus through your whole day and you were to look at the activities you did and you might realize that you spent an hour doing, you know, or 20 minutes, 30 minutes doing this activity while you're doing that activity and everything took you 20, 30 minutes, you got X amount done. 
But if you literally took that hour and every five minutes you did 100% focus on the one thing you had to do and then stopped that and did the next thing, you not only would feel better and a certain amount of precision and execution, but you would get things done way faster, way more effectively to a much higher quality because you're totally focused on the details of that and it would be completed and you would move on. Whereas what we do is we live in a life of incompletes. We don't really complete anything. We just maintain a lot of things in our life. And so the problem is, is we have a massive amount of stress because you haven't finished the job on so many things. They're in your mind. You're thinking, I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to do that. Just do it. Get it done. It's over. You don't have to think about it anymore. And I think that, you know, um, also we don't, and I, I like this thing, you know, you talk about the artist way. I think we mentioned that before, yep. but you know, what I liked about the artist way was take some time for yourself. And I think that we're in kind of a society where we're taught we always have, we always need something to do that just spending some time with ourselves is like not valid for some reason. Yeah. But that's important, you know? And I think, you know, sometimes when I like, I, I mean, I'm guilty of writing and eating, but I have kind of a method to my madness. The reason why I do that is because I usually just put the food to the side and so I'll eat so I can keep writing for longer because if I ever, what'll happen is I'll forget to eat while I'm writing and then I'll basically hit the point of starvation, yeah. you know, by my body and I'll be like... And sometimes yeah. you don't want to kill the momentum right. that you have going. Um, yeah, like yesterday, I during my, my writing, I I almost put it down. Like my, my time was up and I had hit a point where I said, it's like, okay, well, I'm going to get it up to this this point and then if I get it up to there, you know, I'll, I'll be happy, mm -hmm. right? Once I get it up to here. And then I got there and I closed everything down. I stood up and I walked away and then I stopped and I looked back at the computer and I went, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Keep it going. So I went and I sat back, I opened it back up and I, and I finished the first draft. Which by the way, congratulations are in order. Thank Evan, you. Evan just finished another feature film. Yes. What's this one called? It's called, uh, Lovers. Lovers. Which yeah. is, um, it was originally a working title, but now I think it's just going to be the title. All like, right. I'm like, yeah, you know what? I think it, 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 it kind of says it all yeah. actually. Romantic of, of drama? It is. A romantic drama, yes. Okay, great. Yes, at least for now it is. Right now mm. it is. The ending had some surprises <laughs> that I did not see coming, and uh, it might be absolutely horrible. Yeah, it but might, sometimes... But it might not. Like, there are things that I recognize, I'm like, yeah, but this could actually be really great. It could be really great in some ways. It could piss some people off, but... <laughs> yeah. You know, ultimately, I can't think about that. Like, I've got to yeah, be... Don't worry about I'm it. I'm the one who's got to be happy with it. Well, there's At a, there's a good lesson in that too, is that the ending surprised you and you wrote it. This thing didn't exist until you created it. Yeah. And like, I think that that's uh, you know, for those people who are writing out there is that, yeah, you don't have to have all the answers, have an idea of where you're going to go. And sometimes you're going to find out that, you know, something hits, I don't know what it is, but you realize, wait, I'm going this way. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I had, I had, I obviously like, I knew what this sort of this last scene or this last sequence was going to be like. I knew you know, it's so important that you know what your ending is. Yeah. Like that's I, one of those, when you start writing ship, you got to know what your ending is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, so I was writing it and putting it together and, and this was actually something I thought we might discuss on maybe a future podcast. Maybe we'll just do it now. Maybe it fits in some ways, but I'm always, uh, I always love it when, when things that are happening in my life currently, like new things that I'm learning, new things that, 
you know, I'm, I'm sort of been thinking about suddenly just kind of like poke into, into what I'm writing hmm. now, you yeah. know, cause that was not like, there was, there was stuff that made it into the ending. It was not in my head at all when I first started writing it, but I was just like, no, but this is like something that, that I feel inspired by right now. You yeah. know, this is what, this is, yeah, this is what's fueling, this is kind of what's fueling my life right now. Some of these ideas and now they're making their way into here. So it might've come off ham fisted in the first draft, but <laughs> well, at the end of the day, it's a first draft, you know, yeah. and, uh, first drafts are usually shit as they say, but, um, well, you know what? It might be brilliant, but the thing is, is that compared to what you can do, it will be shit because you'll, if you've already come up with something brilliant, it, 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 we know that whatever you write after this is probably going to be better because it's always easy to improve on something already built. Oh yeah. You know, but like, uh, but yeah, comparatively, like, I mean, I look at the burning blues, you know, for example, and I remember when I came out with that first draft and I had a lot of people going, yeah, it's really good. I really like it. And like, now I think that first draft is shit. And now everyone's like, oh, I really love this draft. And I'm like, I'm hoping that when we do our next table read and I, and you know, basically they approve the next draft that I can be like, oh, this last one was shit. But I always want my last draft to be shit compared to it. Cause I'm like, then I know I did something, you know yeah. what I mean? So yeah, I mean, the, the important thing is the celebration here is you completed the damn thing. So congratulations. Thank you. Well, Cheers. let's have a toast and perfect segue. <laughs> uh, today we are drinking the hollow tree red ale from big rock brewing in vancouver bc which mm. is on the corner of i believe fourth and columbia street okay and a nice space over there this is uh an award winner for yes. them from 2015 they won best um best sort of amber ale uh category at like the 2015 bc north american beer championship so yeah it's great i really like this one it's um i don't even know how to describe it it's it's nice coloring nice yeah. mouth feel <laughs> i hate <It's>, that word <laughs> yeah i know it's got a lot of nice stuff happening with it yeah you know it smells it's, good it's got a nice balance it's it's a little bit it's hoppy it's malty yeah it's kind of it's not too hoppy and it's not too malty but it's got like kind of a nice combo to it mm-hmm it's it's an easy drink and I and I noticed that mine's getting super low because I've been enjoying it so much <laughs> <laughs> that over this conversation I'm gonna have to fill up pretty soon here, um, but uh, yeah okay so um, you know one thing I want to mention is uh, an acting teacher we both had Nathaniel Devoe he he said a comment to me always stuck with me and he said there are no better actors there are only more truthful actors and I always thought yeah. that's so true I mean if you're comparing yourself on who's better and who's whatever. It's not even about that. It really is about who's more truthful. And it's if you if you take the top actors and everybody's truthful, now we're just looking at what truth we connect to the most. It's not about who's better. It's about what do we connect to. So when I look at, say, um, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio and uh, Matthew McConaughey, you know, when they were both up for the Oscars the other year um, for Wolf on Wall Street and Bi Dallas Buyers Club, if we look at Matthew McConaughey, who, who ultimately won, I connected more with the Leonardo DiCaprio role. I, I connected more with what he had to do and whatever. But if we look at the social status of the world and what's relevant and what that movie says about, you know, our culture and how we're moving forward, in, in many ways, Matthew McConaughey's role was probably more important than this capitalist, 
you know, situation. Yeah. You know what I mean? So if you look at it in that respect, they were both great. They both were very truthful in their performance. And then it's not like Matthew McConaughey's better or Leonardo DiCaprio's better. They're both great. Yeah. Now we we now we're now we're stuck. All of us, and I guess the Academy really, but is stuck with a trying to decide who's better. You know what I mean? But it's not about who's better. It's really just like what's not only who's more truthful, but what do we connect to more right now? Because you know what? Uh, take this ten years down the road, a different movie might win because we're in a different place in the world. Society's moved. We have different. We're in, you know. So art is. It's very subjective. It's very timely. Um, and I think that when we're in that whole competitive thing of like, am I better? Are they better? It becomes about, you know, it just becomes so petty. Yeah. And a self-defeating kind of process mm -hmm. to, to do all of that. Yeah. I mean, it's like, we can continue to draw on this. I mean, if you look at, it's like trying to compare, you know, like some of the great artists, you know, it's like, like if you took Vincent van Gogh and, you know, Claude Monet and Leonardo da Vinci or something, or Michelangelo or something like a Renaissance. Like, they're all artists who had different, very different styles. Yeah. Like, they incredibly different styles of how they approached a canvas and how they expressed through it. But can you say that one is better than the other? No, it's like, you. the only thing that you can say is that you prefer one more than the other. But are they... Are they any of them less of artists, mm -hmm. but they chose this, but they chose the way that they best expressed, mm -hmm. you know, they found the way that best communicated the truth for them in the way that they painted. And then that's what they did. So anything beyond that is completely just based on preference. Mm -hmm. And the beauty about knowing that is that in a lot of ways, it's completely meaningless. Mm-hmm in that respect because everybody's got a different feeling about what they like. Well, here's the thing too, is you list off those names. We remember them all. You know what I mean? And yep. people can sit around and debate whether who's better than who and blah, 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 blah. Who cares? You know what? They, they all did something great. They're all remembered for it. You know what? I think when you look at your, when you look at your art, if you are remembered, if people know your name, if people are recognizing it, if people are having an emotional response because of what are you doing, you're winning. You're winning and you don't need to worry about how much money you make or whatever, which by the way, a lot of these artists never got paid much money at all while they were alive. They weren't really known until they were dead. So, you know, if you're basing like, if you're basing your success on the, on the amount of money you make or how much fame you have and all that other stuff, you're also confused because, you know, then you're not, you're not an artist. You're actually, you're going after something else. You have an entirely different motivation than your art. So yeah. don't blame your art and, and tie up art in that thing. You know, I had this realization the other day. So <laughs> I love this, by the way. <laughs> this is my soapbox. This is the beginning. Here it is. <laughs> okay, so anyway, I realized when I was younger, uh, you know, I would take on these really big projects, really big stuff, stuff that people would say was impossible. I'm, I'm going to do that. And I had this realization the other day that a lot of the reason why, because I've been struggling a little bit with motivation. I've had some success in certain areas, but I'm not being as bold and as big as I have been when I was younger. And I, I've been like, why is that? Why am I not doing that the same way? And I realized that when I was younger, 
the only reason why I wanted to do these big, bold things was because in truth, and this is, you know, this sounds sappy, but it actually is the truth. I just wanted to be good enough. I wanted to be accepted. I wanted to be liked, loved, and valuable. And most of my life, I didn't feel good enough. I didn't feel important. And I, and I felt that unless I did something really big, bigger than everyone else, I would never be good enough. So I used art as a tool for me to feel good enough. And the thing is, is that what I realized was that art became a tool for a different motivation. And now where I'm at in my life is I, I create art more because I love art, because I want to do something that's really valuable and good because I actually want to put a value into the world. Before, it was very selfish. It was very much about, I'm going to do this really great thing so that people love me and like me and whatever. And I think that temporarily that works. You know, I actually did get the acceptance. I got the acknowledgement. I got all the things I thought I wanted. But eventually, like anything, it becomes old news. It, you know, it fades away. And until you do your next big thing, it doesn't really matter. And now you're, you're chasing a high, uh, you know, and really what I found was that if I, you know, cause now in my life, I, I like myself, I feel good enough. I feel lovable. I feel important. I'm not trying to prove anything to anybody. At that time I was. So it makes sense why I don't have the same motivation to do these big grand things anymore because I used to do them to prove something, to try to be liked, but now I don't need to be liked so I don't need to necessarily do the big thing. So now I realize I had this massive, it just hit me, like this, just this week really, where I realized if I want to do big things, the only motive, way I'm going to be motivated to do that now is to actually want to do the big thing because I think it would be important. And... I mean, it's taken me until my 30s to figure that out. I spent all my 20s basically trying to get love, trying and through art, which was probably why I was not having the success as an artist that I wanted. But now I'm finding I'm actually getting a lot of success as an artist, especially as a writer, but I'm doing it because I actually want to tell a really great story, not because I want everyone to like me. Ironic how that works. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> because I, I feel like you start working from a more truthful place. Yes. You know, and once you are are creating from a more truthful, open, honest place, uh, people, I think we connect to it. We, we open up to it and maybe we're not even consciously aware of it, but we just go, wow, there's something about that that just really connects with me, hmm. you know, and, and it comes from just, yeah, it's, it's getting that crap out of the way because when, yeah, like when you're working from this place of, of you're like, oh, I want approval. I want love. I want this, you know, I, I want something for what I'm doing. You know, I need, need this from somebody else, you know, as opposed to doing it because you love to do it or because you want to discover something, you want to explore something that you'd never, you'd never considered before, or, mm -hmm. you know, you just like, for me, that's, that's the great thing about art. You know, a lot of times for me is like, I want to explore an idea. Mm -hmm. I just want to explore a concept and try that on, see what that's like and see what comes out from it. You know, it's, it's a really a bizarre process and it's a really, it's, it's hard to define, define it in and contain it in any way. But it's the most fulfilling way to work from because mm -hmm. like, you know, when you're working from this whole idea of, of wanting to get a result and it's, and again, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with 
getting a, a result out of it. Like, cause there's guaranteed, you're guaranteed to get a result <laughs> yeah. no matter what. You're going to get some, you're going to get some kind of a result. <laughs> you might not necessarily like the result, but yeah. you will get one. And, but that's not, that's really not your concern. That shouldn't be your concern while you're in the creative process, because mm -hmm. that is only going to show itself some way in the work that you do. Yeah, I think, I think, uh, well, um, you know, the result, I mean, I think that if you are doing something to generate a response and that response is serving a greater purpose, that's something that you can kind of, you know, pursue and go after. Um, for example, you know, if you're writing a scene in a, in a script or a play or whatever, or you're doing some rift on your guitar and, um, this, this section of lyrics in your song, whatever it might be. Um, and you want the audience to have a certain emotional response. That is yes. something that you can kind of pursue because that's trying to, you know, you're trying to do something there. But when it comes to like, I want everybody to love this. I want everybody to think I'm the best and all that, you know, that's not, I mean, that's not for you to decide. You know what I mean? Like, people are going to have their own opinion and you can start to observe what, you know, what people want and you can try to deliver what they want. But I think that, you know, if you, if you base it on their response and how they give it to you, whether you succeeded or not, and whether you're happy about it or not, I think that you're kind of, I don't know. I just think that you're going to be kind of lost. Like, you know, you might, you might do everything right. And you think everybody should love this. You know, this is what everybody seems to want. And then nobody does. And, you know, um, and I think that all you need to do is that is a success. You learned, you can learn something from that. Yeah. And I think, you know, again, there's this one, I think this is one of these, these parts of, of the work that you do that gets a little bit distorted. Um, because it's like, you know, when, because I agree there, there, you have to know to a degree, a response that you want to what you do. But yeah, it's coming from like, uh, I remember this great, um, Jeff Kitchen's how to write a great movie. Uh, he, one of his first tools, like one of the, the first things you need to know about when, like when you start working on a script is how do you want the audience to feel when they walk out of the theater, when they step away from it, what kind of response that's the response that you want to be conscious of, mm. because that tells you what, like that tells you artistically what you're aiming for, you know, in, in terms of that response. But if you are, that's very different from then going into something being like, Oh, I want to write something that people are going to, you know, like, like they're going to, that they're going to love me for this. And they're going to do this. Like, because that's coming from a, com that's coming from a completely different place. Mm -hmm. You know, like when you're trying to elicit something like, I think of like, if we want to go for something like, like music, you know, one of my favorite, uh, probably my favorite band of all time is Led Zeppelin. And you listen, listen to something like Dazed and Confused by Led Zeppelin, one of their most iconic songs, but listen to how every single member of that band and the way that they, they put this song together, even from the way that they mixed it, not just the way that they all played their instruments and recording it and whatnot, but just turn that up and listen to it 
and 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 you can all hear how they are contributing to creating this emotion in you mm. like you can like it's it's there's no there's no sort of misinterpretation in what kind of a feeling they're trying to create in you you know you can do that with all kinds of music but that for me is like one of these songs that's just like man that'll just knock you over the in like the heart and the head hmm. with with its sound hmm. you know and and jimmy page the guitarist of and and rock and roll god um he he said i've got this poster on my wall and there's a little quote from him <laughs> and uh and to paraphrase it to a degree he said i've never considered myself so much a, as a technician he says ideal in emotions mm. that's the way he always looked at his guitar playing even though he was brilliant absolutely br- brilliant technically um but that's not the way that he approached it mm. you know everything was about creating an emotion creating a thought you know with his playing hmm. yeah well that's that's you know that's amazing i you know i think that if you're you know and i think that you know you bring up a good point here um maybe even indirectly but the whole thing about being a technician you know i think that's another thing with our education system we're all taught to be technicians we're all taught to be technically good at stuff because if you think about it from an employer point of view if I'm going to hire somebody, and I don't want to do a lot of training, I just want to hire them, I want them to do the job, and I want them to be cheap labor, as cheap as is legally possible, so that I can run my business and make the most <laughs> amount of profit possible, okay? So let's just say, you know, and, and most business owners, that's, you know, they got to turn a profit, that's what they got to do. So you educate the masses, you educate most people based under the same system, and then the, the people who are who have awareness who have mentors who are lucky they will end up maybe getting tapped into a knowledge base beyond that but for the most people they're going to deal with this base knowledge and this base knowledge is be a technician and a technician is supposed to do a job really well with as little error as possible and achieve a consistent result over and over and over again and not take much manual like overseeing to make sure they do it they can pretty much do it themselves without yeah. you know and they can do it for x amount of hours with consistency and that's what they want so our school system is based around producing that over and over and over again so if we, we all realize that that's how we've been educated we have to start not looking at the world that way we have to if you want to do a joe job if you want to do a basic job and make a basic amount of money and exist and get by then yes, those are good skills to have. They're not bad skills to have. Technicians are necessary in the world. But if you want more for your life, and especially if you want to be in art, you have to drop the technician mentality. You have to start not paint by numbers, generate specific results, always succeed, always get it right type of mentality. You need yeah. a, An artist is like, I'm willing to fail 9 out of 10 times or more because there's something I'm trying to do here and I don't know how it's been done because no one's ever been, no one's ever done it before. And it, they're not thinking, am I going to do it the best? They're going to, they're thinking, can this be done, period? You know what I mean? So when I think a technician thinks, how can I do this better technically than the next person? But an artist thinks, how can this be done, period? 
you know, and that's the difference. And I, and I think that people who, you know, when they, when they hire, say, actors or, you know, certain musicians that we love or artists that we love, they do something that is totally unique to their style, to their uniqueness. Yeah. And that means, just think about it, that means that they didn't copy someone else. Maybe they were influenced, but they went out and they tried something that was theirs. Yeah. And that's, you know, I know that's scary, but that's what we got to do. Yeah. And I mean, it's not like these people don't have a technical base of knowledge. They absolutely do have a technical base of knowledge, but it's the, to me, the technician should never be, should always be the servant. It should never be the master. Yes. You know, especially in art, you know, like you need like that is, and, and I was, it's funny. I was actually thinking about this, um, yesterday and I mean, I'm, I'm close to opening up the Meisner school and, you know, as I've been, you know, and learning and continuing to, to, to work out like the, exactly what's the curriculum. And I was thinking about the difference between, you know, sort of the art and the craft and, and what, what all that means, you know, and, and I realized for myself, and I feel this is true until it will prove otherwise, but, (laughs) but, you know, for me, it's like, when it comes to craft, craft is, is an actual, um, application of something, you know, it's something that you do, like, like a, like a woodworker, you know, would apply a certain, a certain tool to do a certain thing. Not necessarily everybody's going to use that same job because not everyone is the same woodworker. Right. Right. But, you know, you find these, these tools that, that do are, a, do the, a and, job. Yeah, that do a job. Right. And for me, anything that you use as part of your craft, and this is, you know, more so directly in terms that I'm thinking of enacting, but I'm sure there's parallels that we can draw, but it should be immediately applicable and you should immediately be able to see some sort of sort of a result. And in that, and that result, the, every piece of craft that you should, should use, whichever you, whatever you decide to use, uh, it should bring you closer to whatever that truth is. It should never just be something that you apply just for the sake of applying this technique. It should be something that you can apply, you it's like, and you immediately see some sort of of a direction towards towards a truthful statement. Does that I'm I'm talking? No, a little bit it doesn't make sense. Doesn't but, make any kind of sense. No, okay. but but I think that it could. Uh, it could. I think what you need to do is explain it more in an analogy. Give us an a comparable something that we could kind of visualize okay. and see, so that we could kind of go. Okay, let's just say uh, we're making like some piece of woodwork. You use that maybe. Um, explain. Well, okay. So in terms of, let me just tell you exactly how this train of thought occurred to me. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I'm not exactly sure how, how I thought of this, but I was, I was thinking of, um, physicality and performance, you know, as an actor in terms of, you know, how you go about creating physicality for your character, because this is something that actors struggle with, you know, and, and constantly ponder. And, 
and then this concept occurred to me. I'm like, oh, I'm going to actually start doing this in all my performances. Nobody's ever told this to me. And, you know, there's a good chance that somebody's actually stumbled across this and is teaching it. But I thought, I thought to myself, how does this person listen? How does somebody listen? And as soon as, and as soon as that thought entered my head, I just went like, and I, th and I started thinking of different characters and different, like, that you've seen and like, yeah, like everybody and everybody who you ever meet listens to you in a certain way. There's a, there's, there's like, some people are like, they're leaning in, they're super engaged in, in what you're listening to. Other people are a little bit withdrawn, you know, or they're somewhat distracted. And it actually says a lot about how that person behaves mm. in the world. But there was something I'm like, oh, I like that because as soon as I go, how does this person listen? I, I immediately, you know, start shifting and moving into something and it, and it brings me into something. Does that make sense? So, so is the, and, I, and then I realized I'm like, oh, okay. So this is actually a craft element. This is me deliberately saying like, okay, like I know this is, this is something that I can apply something that I'm consciously applying to, to a performance. So, so to, so to help me clarify this, uh, your, you take a technique to achieve a certain result. That's the craft. You use a technique to get a certain result is the craft, but your artistry comes in, in the way in which you apply it or the craft needs to, the craft needs still needs to serve the artistry. It always, it's the craft is never to itself. So the, the craft, craft is, is the technician stuff. The, the, is the technician stuff, but okay. that, but in, especially in art, it always needs to bring you back to the art of it. You know, it's a way of, of, of focusing the art in a way, okay. right? But yeah. it's never, the craft is never, is never an ends to itself. Hmm. Otherwise it would just be a copy. Otherwise it's just a copy or it's just becomes, uh, I, I, I feel that then you run the risk of it becoming, uh, something that is contrived. Okay. It becomes something that you've consciously decided, Oh, I'm going to do this. It should bring you back into the art. It should add a whole layer to, to what it is. Okay. That you're creating. Okay. So I think, I think I get it. <laughs> I, I'm trying to follow. I this mean, was something that I just started thinking of yesterday. So this is like, yeah. I'm, this is like my, my loose sort of like first thing that I'm, I'm putting out here. Yeah, no, um, I, um, I, so I, the, what, what, this is what I'm getting and and I don't know, maybe there's other people in line who's like, it's so obvious, Brandon, but <laughs> just for us slow people, including myself. Um, so, uh, it sounds like there's like, and, and what you're saying is that there's a certain technical job to be, to, to, that needs to be done, right? Like, for example, if you're painting, right, there's a certain way in which to move your brush to create a certain type of stroke. Um, there's certain types of brushes that do different things, um, you know, to technically, like you might dab, you might swipe, you might whatever, right? So those are all technical ways in which to apply something. And this is, this is the craft in the way you decide to apply those technical things. That's your craft. That's how, how well you've been able to perfect those technical things. And then the artistry is, is how you, how you internally interpret and apply it 
through your own truth? Is that kind of what you're saying? or Somewhat, I think. We might be talking about the same thing, just using a different language. Yeah. Okay. But, um, yeah, for me, the art is, is, the, is the experience, is the actual the experience and the expression okay. of what you're doing. And then the craft is the technical application and your understanding of that. Yeah, the craft is, in some ways, I think the exploration of what's possible. I mean, you may choose to use this, you may not, you know, it's you, but like, it all has to serve, it all has to serve the art. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I agree with that because I mean, I think that there's, you know, these actors and, uh, you know, <laughs> like being in an acting class and someone saying, you're a really well-trained actor. And the person's like, Oh, thank you. And you're like, well, it wasn't a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> Cause it's like, you're a well-trained actor. You've really got certain craft down you you know you've worked clearly you've worked on yeah. your voice clearly you've you've done you know stage you know you learned how to take direction you know how to move your body on stage you know how to turn you know how to you know whatever but um the 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 depth within that like you know what's what's emotionally what do you bring to the table how much you're trusting your own voice and your own thing you know like Marlon Brando, for example, is pretty much my favorite actor. But the reason why I like him so much is because of there's so many moments for me where it I experienced him, and I mean, I talk about this as articles, but same with James Dean. I liked him a lot. But I like these actors who kind of went out and tried something, and they did something. You know, like I always think of that scene on the waterfront, on the waterfront where he's talking to the girl, and she drops her glove and he picks it up and then he starts putting it on his hand. You know what I mean? And that wasn't scripted or whatever. That was just him. And there's a certain, there's so much beauty in that moment. And I, and I think like uh, the lay person might not pick up, but he has her glove and she wants her glove. And you can tell she wants her glove. She doesn't, she, but she kind of wants to leave a little bit. She's on the fence. But until he, she gets her glove back, he kind of has her. And this glove is not, it's not just about oh, it'll be really cool if I put on this glove. In a sense, he's trying to connect with her. He's trying to, you know, he's a very masculine guy. He's, you know, works on the docks. You know, his, his family is like tied in with the mafia and gambling and all these bad things. And he's trying to connect on a very feminine level to her. And him putting on the glove and being playful with her and also trying to hang on to his connection with her in the little way that he can without having a lot of necessary intelligence and the humility of the character you know like the actor Brando probably understood that the character didn't have the intelligence but he he didn't like play that he kind of used where he was at from his own truth to make a connection and I think these moments kind of come out and I uh, you know it's not like something you plan it kind of is just born and there's another moment in uh I, I think it's uh, Rebel Without a Cause with James Dean and he's talking to the girl and they're at this car and he turns around and he leans over the car and his back is to the camera which is like that's a no-no you're never supposed to do that but the thing is is that you know there's this kind of shyness there's this um, you know this he's having a tough time connecting with her looking her in the eye and having him see him vulnerably and so his turning around is very kind of, and I've been there, you know, I like, and people used to accuse me of this of sometimes they say, Brandon, you know, you're always kind of aloof. You're looking away a lot. And I was scared to connect with people. And I think that that is something where when you're, when you're 
in your body, you start doing things like the way you finished your script. You didn't know what was going to happen, but you have all the craft there, but then the truth kind of comes out in this way. And it, and it, sometimes it breaks the craft. You know, like if you look at a, if you look at a, say James Dean in that scene, he turned his back to the camera and we couldn't see him. That according to all acting school rules, you know, I'm not saying all, yeah. all acting teachers teach this way, but rules don't turn your back to the camera always keep yourself in the light always stay visible that's breaking a certain rule and it said brilliant you know what i mean so it was and i mean it and it was something that that actually served the story it served the character it said something about him to us not just to her Mm -hmm. you know but it says something to us and in which case it's like yeah like that is more powerful than some piece of technical, you know, mumbo jumbo mm-hmm. that says, oh, you can't do that. Because if he hadn't done that, that whole scene's different. Mm-hmm. What the meaning, the, the emotion of that scene is completely different. You know, um, there's something else I, I wanted to mention is that actually Matthew Harrison, someone I studied with for a while as an act teacher. And one of the things that I think he's, I think he's really brilliant. And one of the things that he shared with me was about like, and he shared with us as a class, I should say, but he said, you know, he's like, <clears throat> do your performance, let the camera follow you. Stop playing your performance to the camera. And we're taught with things like, and I don't want to harp on CW, but CW type of shows are very planned out, you know, they want to make everyone look beautiful, whatever. And I think that you get a certain type of acting quality out of that that's a little bit lower than, but it does, the show rides more in its shots, it rides more in different type of elements. It's effects and it's it, yeah. sort of, yeah, it's... Uh, and that's fine, it's doing a technical job, it's delivering, it's not so much about the acting, but for the actors, and if you really want to be working with people that are doing a great job, it, it's almost like, and the best directors I've noticed this, they, they let the scene get blocked out and then they figure out how they're going to capture that. They don't try to say, we're going to block it out this way and the actors do this job and then we'll film that right? They come in and they let the actors show them how they'll film it. And then they almost figure out there, they actually send the actors away or they, you know, they get the stand-ins and then they figure out, okay, how are we going to capture this? Yeah. He turned around or did this thing or she turned around and did this thing here. So now we got to get the camera over there. You know what I mean? And, um, I think if you want to be an authority as an actor, for example, you might start looking at, you know, how do I stop trying to get everything right and follow all the rules and trust that there's something inside of me that's giving me the truth on what I need to do. And it might not work, but, but trust that you have something to offer in there. Because I think if you show up to set as an actor and you just try and appease everybody and do what everyone else wants, you're, you're going to be too contrived. You're going to be too confined. Your artist, has no, your artist has no room to breathe, right? And so, uh, you know, I think that there's certain things like, you know, you learn, like, and I think the filmmaker and the writer and the actors and the producers, everybody's trying to work together and everybody has a job to fulfill. But I think that when we start to look at how each informs the other and we each treat our job that way, we come up with better stuff. But if someone becomes the dictator and everybody listens to the dictator, art starts to get small. I think it starts to be very limited. And, um, you know, if you're, if you're working on movie of the week or whatever, they don't have a lot of time, just get it shot. We're trying to make some money. There's not a, not a lot of room for art. Everyone knows that it's fine. But if you're working on, 
you know, a great play or an independent film, there's a lot of room for the art to breathe, you know what I mean? Well, sometimes. Um, and so that's, that's, if you want to be more of an artist, those are more realms. You know, I've always preferred independent film opposed to like network television, you know, myself, because I found that, you know, unless you're working with a really cool director, which I've worked with a couple, most of the time they're just trying to get the thing shot, they're trying to get it done, they're trying to move forward, you know. And the people yeah. who do get to play are usually the regulars, the people who are the leads or whatever, they get a little room to play. But everyone else, we're all just technicians there to fill the job, to bridge, to get them the narrative of them through the story, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, I mean, I've, you know, I've got to, to have some of that experience. I mean, I did... Um, I did a few seasons on Smallville. I think I did like seven episodes with them as a small recurring character yeah. in there. And uh, each one, I believe each one was with a different director almost every single time. And I got a chance to work with some really, with some really terrific directors. Um, I did one, I did one with, I believe his name is Greg Beeman. And he's like you can imdb him and like look at all of the stuff this guy has been involved with and he was an absolutely he was one of the best directors i i've i've worked with you know i worked with a lot of other terrific directors while uh, like my time there um but he stands out in my mind for exactly the reasons that you that you say you know and he's a guy who's probably worked the most out of everybody hmm who, who I worked with on that show. And it was, he, it was exactly that thing. Like we came in and, and certainly like we knew where the, where, you know, the scenes were being, were being shot. You know, we knew which set we were on and, you know, a general sort of a movement that was going to happen. But he came in just like so excited and just like so open. And for me, like, as a person who's like, oh, I was there, like, I'm, you know, like, I'd done a few episodes by this point in time, uh, and I was, and I was a little bit more comfortable, a little bit more familiar, felt like I could move a bit more. I wish I had always had that attitude, though, mm. after that point, but, um, I, I realized that it's like, you know, like the, you've got to bring something to it, you mm -hmm. know, like, always come in with something and he was, he was waiting for it. And like, while I'm working with like the regulars of the show, you know, as we're planning this out, you know, like I'm, I was brought right into that conversation. It, it really, it kind of threw me actually, mm. because I was just like, what? Like you guys care about like what I think about <laughs> how we, how we should do this, yeah. how we should do this shot. Like crazy, you know? And we did, we, we, blocked out a lot of other stuff and like the, the acting components and stuff. And then, and then it was shot around that. Mm -hmm. But I'd also had the experience on the show of working with some people who it was just like, all right, so you're going to come in and you're going to stand here and yeah. you're going to hold this like this. And yeah, you know, and, and you're going to stand here and then, you know, and that's, that's it. And you're like, Oh, okay. Well, you know, like, and yeah. that's like, you, you know, you learn, you know, that that's going to happen, you know, on a set, you know, there's going to be, those moments where it's just like, yeah, you're not going to get as much with that said, with that said, I, I learned that you can still always find a way to put something that you want into it, mm -hmm. you know, to put, to inject it with a little bit of that creative force that mm -hmm. you've got going, 
even when you were being sort of like contained, it's like, okay, here's a circle in the ground and you can, you, you can move within it, but not, not with, not, not out of it. And it's like, okay, well, I'm going to, I'm going to like move as much as I can within that circle, yeah. you know? Well, you know, it's, uh, it's interesting, like, um, you know, and I think that for actors, that's going to happen more and more if you're just auditioning for roles and you're kind of working your way up through the small parts, um, because, you know, they're, they're hiring more and more, they're hiring, uh, first assistant directors and cinematographers to direct shows because, uh, first assistant directors can get things done on time. They're efficient, they're effective, they understand, they have that discipline but they're not necessarily, this isn't always the case. Some are very talented in many areas, but many of them, they're, they're very efficient. That's their goal. And, you know, when there's a lot of money on the line, you need to get things done on time. You don't want to run overtime. They're a great choice. The other type of director they use a lot now is the cinematographer because they know that the cinematographer is going to have all these visual shots. They're going to be able to make it look really pretty. Um, pair them next to a good assistant director. They get it done on time. Great. But both of these types are, they have, well, the cinematographer, you could argue, has a certain artistry to them, but sure. But they might not be thinking so much about what does an actor need to do to deliver within the frame of the camera that they're moving or altering or doing whatever. And so, you know, back in the day, you know, when we, we look at like, you know, these actors of the golden age. And that used to be when directors were really like, they were theater directors. They came from understanding story and character objective and, you know, whatever. And that's less and less and less. And the reason why is because, you know, um, these acting directors, these story-based directors, if they're not able to deliver on time and be able to achieve the technical visual demands that these shows require, they're not going to have the job. And I think that there's less demand on the cinematographers and first ADs to necessarily understand stories so much because like a lot of shows get made and they kind of like, and, and anyone who's an actor has been in it for a while realizes this eventually, that they just want to hire you. They don't want to direct you. They want you to know how to do the job and they want to just go, okay, they're going to do the job. We don't have to do, actually no direction is better because we can get it done sooner. If they have to direct you, that takes up time, it takes whatever. And they don't really do a rehearsal process a lot of the time. So you're expected to have done your rehearsals and figured everything out on your own. And you might even be meeting those actors for the first day on set. You've never even seen them before. Yeah. And, uh, you know, whatever. And like, um, you know, like I, I did hear uh, one of my friends booked a, a show on a Netflix show. It was, um, what the heck was it? It was the one with uh, the Mongolians and all that. Oh, oh yeah. Marco Polo. Marco Polo. Yeah. And she was saying about how they did a lot of rehearsal and a lot of training beforehand. So when people got to that, they kind of had a certain amount of preparation. I don't know how much of the acting rehearsals they did, but they, you know, they, they do spend a lot of time to, you know, in some of these shows to actually train actors and the necessary things they need so that they can perform, you know, with like physical things. Right. But anyway, the point is, is that, um, you as an artist, it, I think that's why this podcast is valuable. It, it, it just re reminds us that we need to take more and more onus on ourselves to find our art within this technical world. You know, and then the more technical it gets, the more that you want to do that. I mean, we don't all get the luxury of being on Star Wars, although like, the, you know, like to be where you actually have a set that's moving around you and 
physical things you can see and feel. You know, what's going to happen more and more on a lot of these shows is these green blue screens where you're, you're, you're going, okay, there's a dragon over there. <laughs> now, I want you to pretend that the dragon is breathing right next to you, but it's nothing's happening. You're totally using your imagination, which is, that means, that's fine, but that means you have to have really strengthened your imagination before you get there. Otherwise, when you get there, you have nothing to react to other than what's going on in your head. And if you have nothing going on in your head, in your body, you're going to have nothing on screen because... There really is nothing yeah. there. Yeah. But the thing is, is that, you know, if you're, it, let's say that they're, they had built a real set with like a life-size dragon for you to work with, <laughs> you still need to give, you still need to have done pretty much exactly the same yeah. preparation anyhow, yeah. you know, like whether it's physically there or not, the context of the scene is still exactly the same. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I, I mean, I, okay, so I was on an independent film this was years back, and basically the film is called like Deadweight or whatever. Um, it was about this drug deal that had gone gone wrong, and uh, <laughs> and I was one of the characters and in, uh, in it. And I remember like we kind of had this fight scene, and then this car like speeds off, and I'm like running down the street, and then they basically jump out and they get me. And I remember like. They, they they made it, it was like very independent, but they made it feel so real that, to be honest, I didn't have to do a lot of acting. Yeah. It, it was like, kind of like, you, you felt, you felt it, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, and I think that, like, independent film gets away with a lot of that, and I think that's why a lot of time, you know, these independent films will come up with these amazing performances, because you know, they're a little more gritty, they're a little more in there, there's a little more time spent on the actual acting and the performance, because they need to, because they don't have all the money to put into these visual effects around it. Whereas when they have the money to put into these visual effects, I think sometimes they're like, well, if the acting's good enough, and they hope it's going to be great, but as long as it's good enough, you know, they want, they're more concerned with making sure all the visuals around it are going right, because really that's more what the show rides on. And I think that if you want to be an artist in that realm, yeah, uh, you know, you're going to need to, you're just going to need to do a little bit more onus yeah. on yourself. That's yeah. What I'm saying. yeah. And I mean, but I feel like for, for today, that's a lot of what we have been, mm -hmm. what we've been talking about. It's like, you know, all of this stuff about, you know, and all of this worry and concern about, you know, being good enough about, competing and you know being better than the next person like it's all just it's it's all a bunch of nonsense <laughs> it's it is it's a bunch of nonsense actually this is a it, i i when i was doing some writing the other day i had written nonsense and i'd written it a bunch of times in a row yeah. i won't explain why okay. i had done it but <laughs> i had, i had written this word a bunch of times and i was just like oh like where's this like nonsense like what i and I don't know why this had entered my mind. I thought, like, I bet you there's some, like, I bet you there's some really interesting meaning behind all of that. So obviously I had to end up looking up sense, the origin of sense. Um, and the origin of sense, it's, it's original sort of like Latin root, which is a word called census or census. Census? <laughs> <laughs> um, but one of its main definitions that or the way that it was used is um sense means to know one's way so 
nonsense. nonsense is to not know one's way. Mm. And I thought, oh, that's really great. So all of the stuff that we're talking, that we've been talking about, you know, is all nonsense? of these concerns, it's <laughs> nonsense. You, you're, you're not knowing, you're not knowing your way. Yeah. And that, because that is not the way to achieving sort of the greatness that you want. The greatness that you want is through your commitment to yourself in what you do. Hmm. You know, I will say something, and I, I, that's a, that's brilliant that you brought that up, because had I known when I was younger that really what I was pursuing by doing these big projects was really I just wanted acceptance and to feel good enough and whatever, then I would have had more sense in what I was doing. It was kind of nonsensical the way I was doing it, because I made up a story that I really wanted to create these big things. But in truth, I didn't necessarily want to create the big things. The big things were just so that I could get something else. And I think that now that I'm clear on that, what, what that helped me see was that, okay, well, if I'm not feeling good enough, now I don't have to go and do this big thing to try and feel good enough. I can actually just, you know, look at that and deal with that for what it is. And if I do want to build a really big thing, it, I can make sense of it because I can do it because I really just want to build a big thing. And I think that, you know, in our artistry, sometimes we're being artists because we want to be famous or we want to be rich or we want to be liked or whatever. And if you're doing it that way, I think you're on a nonsensical path. But if you're doing it because, you know, you're like, well, I really enjoy acting. I like this experience of it. I you know, I want to do something great and I want to, the reason why I want to do something great is because I want to affect other people or blah, 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 or whatever. But if you're clear on that, I think that you will have more sense in what you do. And I, I really like that you brought that up because I, I think that that was so much of my struggle. It was kind of nonsensical. I don't think I knew my way, although I thought I knew my way. And that's why I was fighting myself so much. And now I would say that I would attribute most of my success to the fact that I actually am a lot more clear on why I'm doing what I'm doing for real. And it's not like a cover. It's not trying to actually just get something else. Um, so yeah, I mean, if, if someone can learn that lesson out of this, that's wonderful. I mean, yeah. And cause I mean, if you're, if, if you're getting into any artistic creative field for, for some sort like for reward, <laughs> yeah, like, that's you're you've come to the wrong place like if you're looking for external reward in an artistic field not that it doesn't exist like certainly it exists like that is that is there but that's not the place that you're you are at your best in well creative. yeah and i think people see other people get rewards they, they see them get money and success and fame and whatever and they see that and they go well i could but you know, the, the, um, the, a lot of people who get it, you know, it's, it's, it's few and far between. And then, you know, you meet a lot of people like, you know, I never would have believed this when I was younger. So I'm just, but I'm just going to say it anyway. You know, you meet a lot of people with this success and you think, oh man, like they, they've done it. They've made it. They got their show and then you meet them and you realize they have a drug habit and they're like really depressed most of the time and they can't hold a relationship together and, you know, and they just, they don't know what to do with their life. And you're like, wow, like on the, on the outside, you look like you had everything together. And I think that we assume that 
when we get there, we'll also have everything together and that these people have everything together and they got it made. And the truth is, is we're all struggling and uh, we don't always see it. And, and this was a point I wanted to bring up later, uh, earlier, actually, which was that on Facebook and social media, everybody is putting their best foot forward. And, you know, especially in this, in, in media, you know, if you're part of the yeah. film industry, especially. So everybody's talking about how they booked the role. You know what? How many messages are people putting up where they're going, you know what? I, I just won my Leo or my ward or whatever, and I haven't booked a job in six months. No one ever puts that up. They just, six months later, they put up, oh, I booked this great role with blah, 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 blah. They don't talk about the X amount of struggle they had. So in our minds, we see that and we go, oh, they're just succeeding. But here's the other thing. This just makes it worse. We don't just have one friend that's succeeding. We actually have several. And so over the six months, the other six friends talked about their successes, which was really only one within those six months, you know, big thing. And so we kind of attribute all of those successes to each person as though everyone's succeeding that much and we're not. And so we get this very skewed view of like, you know, and I think that when you're just don't compare yourself to social media. First of all, it's all yeah. false, <laughs> you know, yeah. like perceptually. And, and I mean, and the other thing is, I, th I, I feel like on another level with this is it's like, yeah, like there's, there's a skewed, there's a skewed glimpse that you're getting through that. But also the very fact that like it causes us such discomfort <laughs> that, you know, we see somebody have like, you know, some kind of a success, Yeah. you know, it's like, it's keep everything in, in perspective, you know, like it's, it's, it doesn't mean it, it, if you're feeling bad about seeing somebody else succeeding, that has more to do with how you're perceiving it yeah. <laughs> yeah. than it has to do with what actually happened to them. Like, you know, you see, it's like, Oh, look, they're having all of this success and now that means that I'm worthless because I'm not doing that and I can't get this and blah, blah, blah. And I should just quit and give up and blah, blah, blah. Like, it's like, well, that actually, literally, that just means that they've, they, they've just got this job, you know, mm -hmm. or they just, you know, had this thing happen to them. Yeah. You know, that's all it means. Everything else is entirely how what you're making it mean mm -hmm. and then making it mean about you. Well, the other thing too is, you know, is that I think that we, you know, certain things is like, if you're going to treat your artistry as a gamble, you're going to treat it as I'm, I need someone to come along and grant me this, give me this role or whatever. I know we're kind of talking about the acting, but this relates to writing and definitely screenwriting. And it relates to, um, you know, it relates to directing, it relates to a lot of other arts, I'm sure, in music. Um, but if you're spending your career waiting for someone to grant you the opportunity, you know, you're still basing your career on someone else liking it or not liking it, you know, and not just someone else liking it, but someone else who happens to be in a position of power where they could actually grant you that, because there might be a lot of other people out there who like it, but then if no one in the position of power believes in it, it doesn't matter because none of these people will see it. So whatever. And so I think that, you know, y y at some point you need to, if you really want to assure yourself a certain amount of success, you need to take into your own hands. What are you going to do to make it happen 
by your own control, how are you going to grant yourself this opportunity? If you are an actor, go get a film made. You know, if you don't know how to write, find a writer. You know, find a director. Do you know how many people are sitting on their butt right now who, and they're probably listening to this podcast. There's probably a director listening to it. There's probably a screenwriter listening to it. There's probably an actor listening to it. And you know what? They're all listening to it and they're going, oh man, I wish I got my break. You guys should all call each other. <laughs> you know, why don't you guys all pair up and go make something and then you know what? Make it brilliant. Put some work into it. Get some other people with some more experience to mentor you because they will. And make something great and take your career into your own hands. Stop waiting around for someone to grant you an opportunity. But if you're spending your whole career waiting for someone to grant you an opportunity, I don't think that the best people always succeed. Actually, I think that sometimes the people who do certain things and happen to cross paths with certain people and happen to have a connection already are often the people who succeed because the people who are putting in the work won't do that work, which is actually the work that actually makes results happen in the world. And uh, I think that talent and ability and skill only takes you so far. You know, if no one ever sees it or knows about it, it doesn't matter. Yeah, and I mean, I think it's it's funny. Like, I've heard so many stories, and I've actually witnessed it, like, on sets, you know, of, like, big, you know, projects and stuff like that, you know, with, like, big budgets, and, you know, you've got a huge crew and, and this and that. And, and they're talking about some project that they're actually all going to do together when they're done with this shit. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And it's like, you're like, what? Like, yeah. like, because you think it's like, well, but this is like, this is it. This is what, like, this is what the goal is, isn't it? You know, like you're yeah. like, was, you know, you're doing this show or you're doing this movie or you're doing this, whatever it is. And then they're all like, they're like, yeah, but like this isn't really what we got into this for, mm-hmm. you know, like they got into it to, to put out ideas and to, and to say something and yeah. to, you know, to, to f- do something that, that fulfilled a deeper part of themselves, you know, and, and they would get together like outside of it, you know, like oftentimes with very little budgets as well, you know, like they, they don't have much more than, than, anybody else does when like coming in like but yeah whatever we're gonna shoot this we're all coming together and we're gonna shoot this indie yeah you know we got a script written you know from a buddy of mine who's like and it's great and and we're gonna make it you know it's like whoa that's that's nuts like Mm -hmm. it's it's so crazy you don't think about that but it's like you know a lot of a lot of it's just a big show Mm -hmm. you know a lot of sort of this idea of of what you know, the, the big life is this, the successes. It's a, such a grand illusion, Mm -hmm. such a grand illusion. That's a, that's a great, that's a great point to finish it off on because I think that, you know, I think that's where we get confused. We can confuse by the illusion and, uh, we don't, you know, and we think, Oh, like once you get there and you see behind the veil, you realize you've already been there. You already are there. You don't need, you know, you don't need to do it. And I think that, um, uh, sometimes I think, uh, people don't talk about, they don't talk about what they really care about because they like to, well, I guess, you know, keeping up the image of looking like you're a success in our society is there's so many benefits that come with looking like a success that we, I think we don't always share that with everyone else that, you know, in, in truth, like how many people are like, how many people 
do you know who are really succeeding, like like they look on, on the outside, they look like they're really succeeding, are going to tell you about, you know what, uh, right now my partner and I are getting divorced, my kids hate me, um, you know, I really want to be doing this, but there's just no way, um, I have this this job where this guy's trying to screw me over, you know, blah, 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 blah. Like how many people are sharing all that other stuff that's going on? You know what I mean? And I think that we, we have, um, uh, we have a lot of ways in which we can present an image to the world. And that's where our ego is more bred. You know, our ego is if I appear like I'm together on the outside world, then everybody will think I'm all together. Everybody will leave me alone or everybody will look up to me or people will like me or whatever. But when you start to realize that everybody's really just walking around, they're all scared. Most people don't feel very valuable. Most people feel like, you know, they feel like there's more. Even if you have a massive amount of success, you start to find out when you achieve it that you actually just really want more and you realize that there's some internal thing eventually or you don't realize it, but there's always this thing, right? And I think that if, if we start to connect with the fact that, okay, you are where you are, you know, start to be more truthful about where your motivation or where your motivation is coming from and acknowledge where, you know, acknowledge where you're struggling, but, but know that everybody else has a whole variety of struggles themselves and nobody's better off or worse or whatever. And that today you can just take what's important to you and you can put yourself into that and you can feel good about today and you can do that tomorrow and you can do that the next day and you can do that for a while until it becomes your habit and your way of being and you'll start to feel fulfilled by things that are important to you. And yes, not everything is going to work out. You're going to have trouble. You know, your boyfriend, girlfriend is going to split up with you or cheat on you or your wife or husband's going to leave you or you're going to upset your kid or you're going to get fired from your job or something is not going to work out. But you know what? If you have this thing that's important to you and you realize where your true motivations are coming from, I think and this is just where maybe where I'm at in my life, but I think that, you know, you'll realize no matter what's going on around you, you'll be okay, you know? And you don't need to compare yourself to everyone else once you have connection to that. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, I, and I feel like at the very least, you will never regret not, not putting, not putting what was important to you out there. Hmm. You know, even if it doesn't work out, you can never fault yourself for having never tried. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's, and that's huge. That's huge. You know, like that's, that's like pursuit of, of something valuable mm-hmm. in my mind, you know, it's just like, yeah, you did what was important to you and it didn't always work out because it won't, it won't always work out. Um, I always loved this this interview I saw with, uh, with Neil Young, when he said that he, he knew that none of the albums that he did were all going to be great. They weren't all going to have massive commercial success. Some of them were, were going to just completely go under the radar, but it was never a concern to him. Hmm. You know, it was never a concern to him. He's like, yeah, some will be great. Some will. Mm-hmm. You do the next one. You do the next one, you do the next one, you do the next one. And you do it as with, with everything that you have, you know? And, uh, and yeah, so like, as for today, yeah, as for today, I'd, I'd say, 
uh, continued message that we've always said. That <laughs> <laughs> we've always said. It's like put do do what you love to do. Don't be afraid to put it out there because not everyone's going to love it. Some people will. Mm-hmm. That's not the reason you need to be doing it. Yeah. Yeah, if you do what's important to you, um, and if you're going to compare yourself to anybody, compare yourself to yourself and how you were and who you're becoming because that's all that matters. You don't really know how to compare. I don't think any of us can truthfully, honestly compare ourselves to anybody else because we don't know their whole life. We don't know all the details. We don't know. And to assume we do is kind of arrogant. And I think that we do know ourselves, though. We can have a good, a good understanding of ourselves. And so you can compare to yourself, you know, like, am I, have I grown? You know, have I been developing? Am I better at this thing than I, you know, whatever. And, uh, and, uh, you know, some things are temporary, like, you know, your physical ability, like maybe when you were a teenager or early twenties, your physical ability might've been better, but you know, um, what about your mental ability, your ability to express yourself, your ability to understand who you are, um, your, you know, whatever. I think those are, those are the things that will really like, they lead you to more truthful place in your heart. And they also, um, I don't know, they, they just, there's, there's things that you know about yourself. We, we, I don't think we should, I think we should be careful about assuming what we know about someone else. Yeah. You don't know. You know. Anyway, that's all I got really, Evan. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think so too. I think we've tapped, I've, I've tapped out here now and, uh, I don't know how much we actually talked about, um, sort of the marketing side of this. <laughs> well, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. It but wasn't for today. It part, wasn't for today. Call this part one of marketing, but, um, we won't really, but, uh, but definitely your relationship with your art. Well, I think that's where marketing begins. I think this is a good prelim to where that's going to lead because, you know, I think people think of marketing as this external thing about getting approval and whatever. And really, I think it's just about sharing. Yeah. And I think I have some stuff I want to talk about that there too, but we will do that on another day. You did a good job at leaving them with a cliffhanger. Well done. <laughs> All right. See y'all next time. That was our show for today. Thanks a lot for listening and being a part of this. If you enjoyed our conversation, please subscribe and share with your friends and family. Or you can learn more and message us at www.thebndpodcast.com. Oh, and make sure to leave a comment and rate us on iTunes. That will really help us out a lot. It definitely will. Thanks.